Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. I'm so happy today to have Miss Kat Harris on the show. And I just know that there's going to be so much insight for you all to learn today. And I hope that you're just ready to talk about dating, walking in purity, modesty, and something really, really taboo for some reason in Christian circles. We're going to talk about sex. So that is a little trigger warning. If you got cheerings in the car or anything like that, um, this one, I mean, if you want to educate them early on, like go right ahead. But just doing my due diligence to be like, you know, we might be talking about some adultish stuff today. But it may shock you, but most Christians still struggle with sexual temptation. And I truly respect Kat for being a huge advocate for women and even men in this space. Kat's work has been featured in Vanity Fair, GQ Magazine, Glamour, People, and so many more amazing outlets. With all of that being said, Kat, like, are you about to run for the 2024 presidential campaign or like, what are we doing? Oh my here? gosh, it's going to be Kamala Harris and Kat Harris, K. Harris and K. Harris. Hey, yo. <laughs> oh my gosh. Unless, yes. Unless it's Michelle Obama. I mean, I would like Michelle Obama, Kamala Harris, 2024, all the way. And Beyonce. Beyonce has got to be somewhere in, in the there. Story. It's got to be like somewhere. It, it, it comes down to like, it's not even a political thing. Like when you see, I saw that Michelle Obama went viral along with Bernie Sanders from the um, inauguration. And it's just okay. like, it, she went viral for her modesty. Like all you could see were her eyes, but she just slayed it. Like the fashion behind it, everything was amazing. But oh gosh, <laughs> all so jokes good. aside, I'm super thrilled to have you here today. It's going to be a fun topic to talk about. At yeah, first, I was like, I'm, it might be awkward, but no, not at all. Like, you're, why is it you're awkward? Go- I, exactly. I, that's the thing is, and, and since when is the feeling of, of awkwardness the feeling to avoid at all costs? Yeah. Why, why are we so afraid of feeling awkward? I, you know, <laughs> for someone that talks about vulnerability and anxiety, for the majority of like my talks and stuff, I have more and more just dug in depth for that question is like, why does it have to be awkward? Why do guys not talk about anxiety? Why do we have to be macho all the time? Like, that's not going to be me. If you're looking for somebody that knows how to use all these power tools and all that, like, I'm not your guy, like at all. So it comes down to like breaking those stereotypes, I feel like, and it's like, have the conversation. So again, I respect you for being open to have the conversation and building your platform on that. People want that. And it's obvious with your following that they're receiving it very well. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, you know, I think everyone longs for connection, like every human, we all long for connection. And if we, if we kind of zoom out the, what sexuality is, Sexuality, a more macro definition, is the human desire that every human has to get outside of their selves and connect with a lowercase other, another human being. So sexuality is really about relationships and connecting with people. And, you know, I like to say if, if sexuality were a book, that physical intimacy and sex would just be one chapter. Mm. And so even just in regards to talking about awkwardness or anxiety, like so much of the conversation is being willing to embrace the discomfort and move through the discomfort and normalize uncomfortability, normalize yeah. discomfort. I mean, I struggle a, a lot with anxiety and a huge part of the journey for me is not resenting the discomfort and being like, okay, my body's feeling this way. These symptoms are coming up and they're very disorienting and I really don't like them. 
and I can still be safe and at home in my body and move through this to the other side because I know the breakthrough happens on the other side. So then we translate that to, we can translate that to every other area of our life, relationship, intimacy, sex, faith, career. All right. I feel awkward in this moment. Okay. Well, what what's underneath awkwardness? What am I afraid of happening? And often what I've discovered is the worst case scenario really isn't that bad. Yeah. And that the breakthrough happens on the other side. So just normalizing these conversations is so important. Yes. And like I said, you're a powerhouse when it comes to this, in my opinion. I know that you started with the Redefined Woman, and that's kind of your big social platform. But I want to hear your story. Wait, like, it's, sorry, it's the Refined Woman. The Refined Woman. Look, I'm the best at butchering things. No, no, we're keeping that in there. Um, (laughs) We're keeping it in there. (laughs) We're keeping it in there. I I feel like people are getting tired of filtered podcasts. Hey, Hey, I I get tired of it. Like I think Whitney Cummings does a great job on keeping it real, and I appreciate that. So keeping it real. Keep it I love. Real. I just don't want people to Google the redefined woman and then go to they another show website. like Kamala Harris's <laughs> blog, the redefined yes, woman. Yes. <laughs> so the re- <laughs> people a lot of times are like, "Congratulations on starting Refinery Twenty Nine." I'm like, Thank "Starting you. what?" Refinery29, it's this huge mega website platform. And I'm like, thank you so much for saying that. I didn't start the Refinery29, but I did start the Refined Woman. The Refined (laughs) Woman. Thank you so much for thinking I'm as awesome as Refinery29. (laughs) It's like, take the compliment, but at the same time, clap back with what it actually is. But when it comes down to the Refined Woman, um, where did that start for you? Where did this journey begin? for you becoming who you are today? Yeah. So the Refined Woman started about nine years ago. And I at the, t- at the time that I started the Refined Woman, I had been a full-time photographer. I still am a full-time photographer for years. And I was I had shot New York Fashion Week for years and years. And I think it was my 12th season leaving New York Fashion Week. And I just had this sort of internal God nudge of this is great. You get to be in these exclusive places, VIP parties and shooting these beautiful gowns walking down the runway. But what story are you inviting people into? And so I felt this nudge of, man, I'm in this industry that says you matter because of what you look like, what you are or aren't, how many followers you do or do not have, and worth really is externally motivated. And so how can I start a conversation within this space that says you have a seat at the table regardless of how much money you do or do not have, what size you are or aren't? And so I started a style blog. And if you want to see some really, really painful... You talk about awkward. (laughs) Some (laughs) awkward outfit posts. Just go to the archives of The Refined Woman. And you know, we I had a business partner at the time and we did style posts for a long time. But really the journey of The Refined Woman has just... It's just been such a morphing and twisting and turning throughout the last nine years. And the what I, what I realized pretty quickly is I'm not really great at outfit post. <laughs> <laughs> and I really want to talk about life and story. And, and so I started sh- slowly sharing about 
dating and heartbreak and struggling like with debilitating anxiety attacks once I moved to New York and sort of my healing journey there and identifying fear narratives that were really holding me back. And so I, I, the more I started kind of peeling back the that mask of perfection that none of us have, but we all kind of filter it online. I think that's when my tribe just started rising to the surface. They say your vibe attracts your tribe. And so once I just started getting real about, man, life is effing hard. Yeah, yeah. I'm living in New York, but my first year in New York, I made less than $20,000 and shared a bed with my best friend because I was Baroque. And it's expensive <laughs> to live in New York. You, you can't even rent something for more, less than 20000 a year. That I'm is assuming. not true. That's not true. That's a it's Georgia. <laughs> yeah. So it's so funny. I was talking with um, my buddy, Anthony O'Neill, and he's this big, um, you know, financial guru. He works with Dave Ramsey and he's like, oh my gosh, people, it's so expensive to live in New York. It's not cheap. However, I mean, <clears throat> I never paid over a thousand dollars rent in really? the entire time in the last seven and a half years. You see, me being from Boondock, Georgia, all we ever hear is you can't go to the big city. You're going to be paying like $3,000 a month rent. And I'm like, uh, yeah. all right, Karen. <laughs> like, whatever you say, Karen, because like, you seem like a reliable source. <laughs> have you lived there before? <laughs> I didn't know that. Now, what $900 can get you in New York City is going to be different than what it can get you in the Boondocks for oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, yeah. People are like, how are you able to buy a house at 19? I was like, I live in Georgia, in the middle of nowhere. Like, it, um, like, it does come to my down. Palace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it now, was $5. <laughs> I wish. But when it comes down to it, you're starting The Refined Woman and you got all of this amazing content together. You started a blog called Sexless in the City. And now it's turning into a book. How does that feel and how did that happen? That sounds like, it sounds like a very complex thing, but at the end of the day, I feel like if you're determined enough, like God's going to open up the doors for you, but you've got hustle, you've got great content (laughs) and you made it happen. I want to hear about it. Yeah. So, well, first of all, I am like hustler, like every, every day I'm hustling, you know, people ask me what's like, what's living in New York city. Like, and I say, it's like being at the right place at the right time all the time. If you're Mm -hmm. open to it, there's just so much opportunity there. And, and I think wherever you are, especially with this online world that we have, I, one of my first boss used to say squeaky wheel gets the deal. And so, I mean, I just, you know, I'm just constantly tapping when people say, ask, you know, what's running a business like? I'm like, all I do all day long is throw spaghetti on a wall. And I see what sticks. <laughs> so, but the sexless in the city thing actually was something that I was not planning to be a thing. I moved to New York City about seven and a half years ago, and I grew up in Southern conservative evangelical culture. I got a purity ring, I think when I was 16 years old, at youth group, pledging to God and my future to abstain from sex until marriage. And I never really ever questioned those narratives. I just thought, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'm That's what everyone does in the South, right? And plus, I'm almost 17. And so that means in Texas, I'll get married by 19 max. 
And that's just not how my life turned out. I graduated college. I moved to Southern California to be in the nonprofit world and then transitioned into the photography world. And then in my late 20s, moved to New York City. And in my first year in New York, I dated more than I had dated in an entire decade. Wow. And I mean, I was doing online dating. I was meeting guys out and about. I was was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm Carrie Bradshaw. (laughs) I'm just so cute. Except for I'm not having any sex. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And so hence, sexless in the city. So essentially, I started dating this guy and fell head over heels for him. Just I was like, goo goo gaga. And I was like, oh crap, it's really hard not to have sex when Mm -hmm. you are A, dating, B, super attracted to the person you're dating, and C, like head over heels for the person. And so... I, in my, in, in my, you know, giddiness wrote all these blog posts and uh, they kind of make me cringe now. And part of me wants to take them down from my website because I'm like, Oh, it's your process though. It's like a (laughs) journey. Oh yeah. It was definitely my journey. And it, the series was just about me dating this person, falling in love and then being heartbroken. And that really took my website from being like, oh, my mom reads it and my sister to tens of thousands of people per post. And so I definitely wasn't ready for that. And I kind of, after we went through the breakup, I kind of just kind of put kibosh on the series because I was heartbroken. And, and also I was like, my website isn't about my dating life. Let's go back to the main thing. We'll talk real talk about other things. And so several years went by and in the wakes of that breakup in my own personal life, I was starting to just really deconstruct some of the shaming purity culture narratives that I received from evangelical church circles. And really I was at a point where I was like, is waiting until marriage still a thing or is it some antiquated Christian norm that's no longer relevant? And I researched every verse in the Bible that talked about sex and relationships. And basically my goal for going on the journey was to find a way to like biblically justify why I wanted to have sex in my dating relationships moving forward and actually ended that journey more conservative than when I started. (laughs) So the cosmic joke was on me. I was like, thank you so much, God. Um, So then I was on a podcast a couple years ago about being a Christian in the fashion industry. And she's like, so how's dating? I shared with her a little bit of my story. And then that episode goes viral. The next thing I know, I'm getting emails from different publishers all over the US asking me to write a book. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. I'm not your girl. I don't want to write a book about this. Like, can we talk about anxiety or brand strategy or all this other stuff? I said, no, Trevor, for months. I was like, this is not this is not what I want to talk about publicly. Like this is my own personal life and my faith and working through sexuality. And I just remember feeling so stuck. Like I was at this impasse and I was sitting in my bed one night and I was like, fine, God, if you want me to talk about this stuff, I'll do it, but I don't want to. And once I said yes to that, it was like, I didn't even realize that I had been fighting swimming upstream and so many things just released in my life when I said yes to talking about 
my journey and my questions and my doubts and the new framework that I had for biblical biblical sexuality. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely like a weird thing. I feel like so many other areas of my life, like I can tell you photography wise, here's what I did. And here's how that door opened. And with this, I'm like, this isn't what I wanted. (laughs) This was not the hill I wanted to die on. And, and it has literally shifted the trajectory of my life and my career by talking about my experience growing up in the church and the problematic narratives I received, but also coming to a place where I'm like, okay, let's not throw the baby out the bathwater. The church really blew it and gave Mm -hmm. us a set of rules when God has a real heart and vision for us. And so let's cast a new vision. So that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm sitting here trying to do here. Just cast a a different vision. (laughs) So you grew up in Texas and growing up in the church, you mentioned that there were a lot of narratives that were thrown on you when it comes down to it. Like what made you decide like, okay, I need to do this research for myself. And when you got started on that journey, where did you begin? Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing that started me on that journey was dating and realizing, oh my gosh, I've had this really strong conviction to abstain from sex, but I've never really been tempted And so I was kind of on my virgin high horse about, oh my gosh, everyone else is falling off the bandwagon. I'm so holy because I'm still a virgin. And then literally the first time I got the opportunity to abstain, it was like, my virginity was hanging on by a thread. And I like, literally, I was like, I think I'm technically a virgin. Um, So... It was in the wakes of a breakup where I realized I need to figure out what I believe about this because Mm -hmm. I, I guess it turns out that I don't really know why I'm waiting. And in the heat of the moment, you know, because the Bible told me so did not keep my clothes on. And so I needed to figure out for myself, like, what do I believe about sex? And what do I believe about God? And what do I believe about what does scripture actually say about sex? Because I was a Bible major in college, Trevor, and I couldn't tell you for the life of me if there was anywhere in the Bible that actually said to not have sex outside of marriage. I knew about adultery. And so I needed to figure out for myself. And so that was a huge thing. And then once I started that journey, I started kind of, it was, I started noticing these patterns of messages that I received growing up in Christian culture and received from church and pastors. And a few of them being, man, it seems like everyone who's telling me to not have sex, and by this time I'm in my 30s, is coming from primarily white Christian men who got married when they were 19 or 20. And it's not that what they're saying isn't necessarily true. It's just, they really don't have any idea what it's like to tell someone not to have sex in their thirties or forties for decades at a time. So there wasn't empathy. I felt like there wasn't a lot of empathy. And then, you know, we're also in this time in the Western church where sex scandals are being revealed almost on a weekly, monthly basis. And I felt like, you know what? I'm also really tired of hearing pastors tell me to have sexual integrity when behind closed doors, they're running around on their wives or addicted to porn or whatever it may be. And so I just felt like that's not okay. And I, I think 
really what propelled me on the journey once I started, what kept propelling me on the journey once I was really on it was I want to be the voice to someone that I didn't have. There, I didn't know of anyone who was single in her 30s and walking this stuff out and really trying to follow the ways of Jesus who was really also like being ghosted <laughs> and swiping right and swiping left. And so those are a lot of the, the, the reasons why I got into it. And then is to answer the other part of your question is what are some of the narratives that I started unpacking was, well, yeah, like what does the Bible say about sex? But then I was going back to my experience in the church and realizing, man, there's these other subtle messages that I didn't really even question. And it was kind of like the sub message, the message under the message. So you mentioned modesty earlier. So being in church circles and girls being told you have to wear one piece bathing suits or no tank tops or fingertip length shorts when guys at camp are running around with their itty bitty shorts. And I always thought that was odd, like, like super odd. Right. So the invitation for women is you need to cover your body because your body is the stumbling block for the for the male sexual purity. So then not only am I required to uphold my own sexual integrity, I'm also told sub, like under the surface that I'm not a sexual being the way that men are sexual beings. So women and men aren't equal in their sexuality and that essentially boys will be boys and they can't control themselves. So then it's my responsibility to make sure they behave. And And guys can control themselves. I'm 23. I'm, I can't think of really anyone else that I know my age that is keeping their self for a very, a very limited amount of people. It's, we live in that, like you said, swipe left, swipe right culture. It's almost like you get sex on demand. Pornography is available. Like I saw a statistic the other day that kids are starting to watch porn in like second grade, which is absurd, crazy. It's just so openly available. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like guys, I mean, it's just super odd that the whole narrative was guys can't control themselves. So the girls need to keep it on check at all times. It's like, it goes both ways. And that is very sexist that they would do that. But that comes from mostly males being in leadership, I feel like. Yeah, not having women as a voice in the in the like in the boardroom and yeah. the in the decision making rooms. When we remove women from decision making rooms, we all suffer. So in essence, I think what I started realizing is, you know, I used to think my efforts were noble to quote unquote be modest, you know. But then I was like, you know what? If I am adhering to this narrative, what I'm really saying is that. I have such a low view of men. Like I don't respect men at all and don't think that they have the autonomy and agency, which God says that they do. You know, Romans 12, once that Paul says, therefore I urge you, I invite you brothers and sisters to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The invitation is always one of your personal agency and autonomy to offer yourself. And so I just felt like, actually, I have a really high view of men. And I, I think more of the men in my life than to think that it is my responsibility to protect them. And I think the reality, there's, I think there's a, the conversation 
can be with a kindness, how can we mutually honor one another in our lives through our words, through our actions? And yeah, perhaps even the clothes we choose to or not wear. However, to put in an, to put a person's sexual purity or integrity on another person's shoulders is spiritual bypass and it's manipulation and it fosters, it just fosters a culture of silence for women and violence against women in my perspective and experience. Yeah, very much so. And in your book, you talk about um, modest is the hottest. Um, (laughs) I want to switch it up a little bit. Um, How would you tell a guy that just thinks that women need to be modest all the time, but he doesn't take those precautions himself? What would you say to him? I think I would just be really curious. Um, I think that we put on other, we resent in others what we ultimately resent in ourselves. And so what in this, what in this guy is he, what in himself is he afraid of? And with, with anything, I mean, even if you're talking about dating, I, for a long time was not financially secure or I didn't have a lot of vision financially for my career and future because I thought, oh, I'll get married and meet someone who has a really good job and who has been really good with their money. And then I'll just get to be a stay-at-home mom. And I realized a few years ago, well, God revealed to me, like, God was like, do you want a partner or a sugar daddy? <laughs> and I was like, well, I kind of want a sugar daddy. Can I have both? And <laughs> I, where I felt the conviction was, it is unfair for me to have an expectation or a standard for someone that I'm not willing to uphold. So if there is a standard that a person has for the opposite sex, are you holding yourself to that same standard of honor? And what's the heart behind that rule? Is the heart honor? Is it rooted in, well, you're making me stumble? Well, no one actually can make you feel a certain way. When I say, Trevor, you made me feel this way. No, I have, I have, you can say something that's hurtful, but I have responsibility over my emotions. So I'm not a victim to the external. I can take ownership for how I'm showing up. And so for the men, like, how can you show up with honor? And I think so much of the conversation around modesty and clothing even sorry there is a fly on my mic and it is driving me crazy i'm like get out of here um sorry i have to kill it got it (laughs) cat harris everyone (laughs) (laughs) got it got it um but i think so much of the conversation around modesty is context yeah is it is it makes sense for me to wear a bikini at the beach? Yeah. Would I wear it on stage Sunday preaching? No. <laughs> what about wearing yoga clothes and a sports bra and spandex to a yoga class or the gym? Yeah, that makes sense. Is it an appropriate or honorable decision to wear that to a job interview? No. What if I want to go out dancing and I'll wear a cute top and skirt? Yeah, that makes sense in the context. And so I think so much of the conversation actually is about honor and context. I love that so much. So towards the tail end of your journey with coming to your conclusions on sex and dating and everything else, um, what did you learn about God towards the end of your journey? Oh my goodness. 
That God is, God does not have a fragile ego. And I think for a long time, I felt afraid to dig into some of these questions like, God, what is your heart for sex? Is it what I've been taught or is it not? Is my body bad? Is my desire disgusting to you? Is it gross when I feel turned on? How do I embrace my sexual desire as a single person? Like these questions that I didn't know I had the permission to ask because really I was scared of the response of God. And I realized I was making God really small because if God is real and I believe God is, God doesn't have an ego that would be so fragile that God would be threatened or intimidated or annoyed by my questions. Like God is a God that wants to talk to his children. And God says that we can hear God's voice. And so I think for me, a huge part was learning, like I have access to the creator of the universe and this creator really wants to know my heart. And this creator is full of love and nuance and cares about my heart and not just behavior modification. And I think I also learned that, you know, God is a God who creates holistically. And so I think it's really easy to compartmentalize our lives or compartmentalize, okay, let's put our sexuality and desire on a shelf, shut it down, lock it up, tie it with a bow and put it on this shelf until one day or this elusive day in the future where you may get married and get a diamond ring on your finger. And then all of a sudden you're supposed to flip a switch and be a lady in the street, but a freak in the bed. And (laughs) I just, that's not the God I found in scripture. The God I found in scripture is a God who creates holistically. And in Genesis one, God creates humanity and says, humanity is very good. So it doesn't just mean my spirit is good, my body is bad, my desire is gross. No, actually every part of what it means to exist and be as a human has the opportunity to reflect the divine image in us. The the Genesis 1, 26 through 31, let us make humans in our image and our likeness to be mere reflectors of who God is. And so I think that was one of the biggest breakthroughs was like, I'm not bad. Like my body isn't bad. My desire isn't bad. It's not disgusting because God doesn't create bad things. And so I think I found a a more expansive, a kinder, a more loving, a more understanding God than I could have imagined. Because also Jesus walked this earth for 30 something years at a time, you know, I think it's hard to be 35 and single, but I'm like, man, in Jesus's day, People were getting married at 13. (laughs) I couldn't have handled that. Yeah. So, and so that means Jesus had sexual desire. Jesus for sure got turned on. And that might seem feel weird to think about, but Jesus was 100% man. Yeah. If he was brought to this earth as a man, it's only natural. Yeah. So man, if, if God can do that, and if God knows what that's like, then I can definitely talk to God about that. And it does not have to be weird or taboo or in hush-hush conversations on the side. No. One of the most human experiences is the desire for connection and intimacy and sex. So we should talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. So for that person that's listening, maybe it's young Kat or maybe young Trevor that's having those thoughts of like whether they're a teenager or maybe even around our age and they're wondering about their sexuality and 
what they should do to pursue. Maybe they're having that identity crisis that most of us have. I'm like, why am I even waiting? Like I should go mm-hmm. out and go freak for a week and then call it and get back to my life. Um, what resources are available for them, um, even with the refined woman and how can they just find that connection with God to help them see the best path for them? Yeah, goodness. So I have so many thoughts. One is I would say, be curious, be curious, ask questions. And like, for me, I think it's always like the first thing is to acknowledge your desire. I am a human. I have sexual desire. And hi, my name is Catherine. I have sexual desire. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Catherine. Hey, Trevor. Um, And so first to acknowledge your desire. I'm a human. I have desire. Next, be curious. Where is that desire coming from? How did that desire get activated? Was it activated because I've been watching a bunch of porn? Is it activated because I am watching a movie with a lot of, excuse me, explicit sex scenes? Is it because it's a Thursday afternoon and I'm just feeling turned on and I'm a human, you know? So be curious about where that's coming from and then ask yourself, what am I trying, what do I want right now? So I think sometimes we want to experience pleasure and I don't, I think pleasure is a beautiful thing. And I have a whole, I mean, you talk about resources. I have a series on my podcast, The Refined Collective about masturbation. We can, I can send them to you so we can link in the, in the show notes. I have a course called How to Embrace Your Sexual Desire When You're Not Having Sex. There's just a myriad of ways, but I think it starts with that posture of curiosity and not shaming the desire or saying, I shouldn't feel this way or I shouldn't do this, but saying, well, actually this is what I'm feeling and this is what I want to do. And only when we give ourselves the permission to acknowledge where our heart is actually at, can we make a holistic choice of how we want to move forward. And so that's when I think that's when we like seek God, search the scriptures, invite trusted community into the conversation with you and be willing to normalize your own desire by talking about it. Because if there's anything that I've experienced, Trevor, it's that... Everyone wants to talk about it, but no one wants to be the first one. You know, it's like, yeah. let's go skinny dipping. And no one wants to be the first one to jump in the water. You're like, all right, I'm just going to, let me just take on my clothes and be the first one to jump in. And so be willing to talk about your desire. Be willing to be curious about things like masturbation. Is that a sin? Why or why not? And what's God's heart on this? And is there nuance here? And yeah, I think it starts there with a posture of curiosity and really identifying if there's shame in this conversation, shame is not the heart of God for us. There is conviction, but shame keeps us stuck, hidden, small, isolated. So when there's shame, like I know from 2 Timothy 1.7 that God's heart for me is not fear and shame, but power, love, and sound mind and discipline. And so is, are, are my, is my desire rooted in shame and fear or is it freedom, wholeness, abundance, connection with God, connection with myself, connection with others? So I don't know if I answered your question. But you did. 
Okay. And I you have a, even I have a <laughs> you even plug the podcast, which is something that I wanted to do regardless, just because mm-hmm. that is a strong resource for people, especially when it comes to conversations that you're not necessarily going to hear from the pulpit on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about masturbation and pornography and sexual desires and intimacy and all the things that you discuss on your show, it's so powerful and it's such a resource for people to have. Um, it, like you said, it's not discussed as often as it should be. And I can understand that there's maybe some people listening that are feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now because it's kind of a taboo topic for you. But I know for a fact that everyone struggles with intimacy. Everyone struggles with sexual desires and having these mindsets of wanting to be seen, wanting to be loved, wanting to be held. It's 100% natural. Um, yeah. Just have that mindset shift of just like, I am struggling with this right now. Just know that you have someone in your corner at all times. And Kat's a voice for this generation on that. So Mm -hmm. if you go look up her podcast, The Refined Woman, um, she has those resources for you. And as we speak, the book Sexless in the City is available. Um, Go pick that up. The link is going to be in the show description below along with her podcast link. Um, Make it a point like right now here in April 2021, we are going to make a change in our life and start with a mindset. If you're yeah. struggling with sexual temptation right now, if you're living an impure life, you're not broken. You're going to be okay. No one is ever too far gone for the grace of God. And Kat's a champion for that. Oh, and thanks, Kat, is there anything else you want to say or plug um, before we wrap up? Yeah. Even just as you're talking, um, one thing that came to mind for me is what if we even shifted the conversation from, I struggle with sexual desire to, I have sexual desire. Yeah. I, instead of, I struggle with intimacy, I long for intimacy because God created me for intimacy. And so how do I want, how do I want that how do I want intimacy to manifest in my life in a way that feels healthy and where I stay connected to my heart, to the heart of God and to others. And so even just shifting the the conversations, I think of like, how can we approach these, this conversation with, with like, I'm a human and I have sexual desire. I'm a human and I, I'm 35 years old, Trevor, and I'm single. And I, I am so glad that God has kept me single for this long and I still long for marriage and family every single day. I long for intimacy. I will be really sad if I if I never get married and I never get to have children. I want that. And so to really own our desire without shame and then be like, okay, God, how do you want, like, what's your vision for me to walk this stuff out? So I think the more we can kind of like remove the shame from the conversation. I think the more we can have like these honest conversations like you and I are having, like this doesn't have to be just kind of, you know, looping back the conversation on awkward. Like I don't feel awkward right now. Do you? No, not (laughs) at all. Yeah. And this is, I think it's important to model. Like we can talk about a very human experience and normalize it because it's just a part of how God created us. So Let's just like commit to like removing shame from the conversation. Cause like, I don't think God's ashamed of us. Mm. 
You know, I don't think God is ashamed of our desire. And um, so, yeah, those are, those are my things. And yeah, I mean, you can check out my podcast, The Refined Collective comes out every week. My book, Sexless in the City. And I have a ton of resources for single people. Um, I have a free downloadable guide called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life. Really, it's just a place to, it's a, it's a free resource guide to really say, how can I take ownership over my season of singleness and put myself out there? if I want to meet someone. So you can get that at bit.ly slash um, TRW dating tips. And I hope you join the conversation with me. <laughs> I love that so much. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Miss Kat Harris from The Refined Woman. Go check out her podcast, follow her on Instagram. Go pick up the book in the show notes below. I'm, I've just met you and I'm already so proud of you. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and pour into the community. It was such a pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's been, it's been an honor. I loved chatting. I did too. And we will yeah. talk to you guys next week. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God and aren't we all praying the big prayer? Here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, You've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus... I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.